0: We'll be looking down to Philippians chapter 1 uh, this evening. Philippians uh, chapter 1. Appreciate very much uh, Brother Larry and Brother Paul uh, doing the teaching they did. They they do teaching here all the time, but they were able to fill in uh, in our absence last week. Appreciate that uh, very much. In studying out the word grace, we can fall upon Philippians 1, and I want you to focus with me on the phrase, uh, partakers of grace. Do you see that in Philippians 1, around about verse what, 7? And what we'll do, we'll read Philippians 1, 3 through 8 to get us started on this discussion about uh, grace and being partakers of grace, Philippians 1 and uh, verse 7. Philippians 1 verse 7. You might recall a couple weeks ago we discussed grace and we said that the grace of God can give us a new start in life because of the salvation that God's grace can bring and does bring to this earth. And um, God's grace can give us a new heart. Certainly it does that. It gives us a new heart. And also, uh, if we really understand God's grace, it can help us to see our part uh, in the ministry of Christ. So God's grace ought to motivate us to want to have a new start. And that new start can be... uh, Accessed time, any place in life. And then that new heart, we must grow in the grace of God, to have the heart that He wants to have. And all that is to lead us to serve uh, in the ministry of Christ. So looking down here to the partakers of grace, we're able to run into the subject of grace and unity. Grace and unity, and I want us to share and discuss about seven things that Christians share. About seven things that Christians share, and it all comes right here from Philippians uh, chapter one. Let me go ahead and mention these seven things, so that as we get to each of these, that you'll be ready. uh, If you so desire, you'll be ready to discuss. Uh, these areas as well. But notice from Philippians 1, 3, and 4 that we share in prayer and then Philippians 1, verse 5 we share in the work of Christ. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 6 we share in the confidence uh, that we can have in Christ. Philippians 1, verse 7 we share in the imprisonments Or bonds, Paul mentions. And then also verse 7, we share in the defense of the gospel. And then we share in the confirmation of the gospel, verse 7. And then finally we share in, in the salvation that grace brings us. And so these seven things. And so before we get into discussing these seven things that Christians share, let's read these verses together. Philippians 1. Uh, 3 through 8. Okay? So here we go. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership, fellowship, in the gospel from the first day unto now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So let's begin here and think about these things that we share uh, as Christians. The first thing verses 3 and 4, we share prayer. We share prayer. Of course, prayer is a personal thing, and Paul is mentioning that he prays personally for the Philippians, but the fact is he is praying for them, and of course they pray uh, for him as well. It is something we do personally, but it's also something that we do uh, in combination and in connection uh, with each other. I want you to notice here, and perhaps... um, as I read this, it's a great challenge to me. Perhaps you can be challenged too. But notice Paul says, I pray with joy. I pray with joy. And I had to ask myself, is, is that my attitude toward prayer? Do I look forward to that? Can, you know, can I, do I really anticipate the opportunity or do I look at it as a duty? As something I've got to get done? Or do I wait to pray when it is especially uh, an emergency in my life? Or is it something I thoroughly and sincerely long to do? And you might compare it to someone that you enjoy talking to on the phone or just in person. You may may say, well, I can't wait to hear from this person again. I can't wait to be able to talk to to my wife or, or talk to this good friend. Well, the best friend we have uh, is the Lord. So Paul says, I pray with joy. I pray with joy. And notice that he's saying this, verse 7, we just read it. He is in prison. He's in prison. That kind of wipes out our excuses, doesn't it? Paul says, I pray with joy, and I'm in prison in these bonds that I'm in. I pray uh, with joy. Notice that this is an attitude that Paul has kept About 10 years earlier than this, uh, Paul uh, was in Philippi. We read about this in Acts 16. And you remember that he and Silas end up in prison. And what do they do while they're in prison? Pray and sing sing at midnight, Acts 16 and 25. This This is a passion that Paul has not lost. He's not lost it. Okay. This is something that characterized him early on but it was still with him ten say about ten years or so later and so think about that and any particular idea that come up in your mind here as you read Philippians 1 3 and 4 about all Christians we share in prayer we share prayer we know that we all pray we ask, to, we ask for each of us to pray uh, for one another and for special uh, occasions, special people, special events. Okay. Think about that. Now as you're thinking about prayer maybe, turn over to uh, Romans 15 and notice this little passage that Paul um, writes. Romans 15, 30. This is a different occasion where Paul is making some dreams. He He wants to... Go to Rome, and after Rome he wants to go to Spain. He never tires of wanting to share the good news, but he, he writes to the Christians in Rome asking them to pray. Notice how he says it here in Romans 15:30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. You remember the things that Paul has on his mind here. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been gathering contributions from from different Gentile Christians to take back to the brethren in Judea because they have been suffering uh, from a famine back in Judea. And he is praying. He asks, people in Rome to pray that this may be received. Paul hopes to solidify a unity uh, among the brethren by delivering this contribution. And then later, after his plan was, after Jerusalem, he wants to go to Rome, he wants to go on to Spain. Of course, we know by reading the latter part of the book of Acts that uh, his plans don't go necessarily as he planned. Um, he does end up in Rome, but as a prisoner and not uh, in, his free, in his freedom. All right. so notice as we are partakers of grace together one thing we share is is prayer okay. any further thoughts on on this prayer idea of prayer sharing prayer so well, when Paul got to go he got his trip and he got it paid for Okay. so Mike's saying when Paul did get to go to Rome he got his trip and he got it paid for but I still kind of think that he'd rather have went the oh, other way yeah, yeah. But but he did get to go. And God's good providence is always uh, the thing to lean upon. And Paul realized that later. He realizes it even as he writes the book of Philippians. Now, I'm I'm a little bit struck by the fact that Paul earlier had this uh, ability to sing and pray in the face of persecution. And now he still has it. And you remember how Jesus will send a message to the church of Ephesus. We read about that in Revelation 2. And the same could not be said of the Christians, some of them at least, in Ephesus because what does Jesus say to the Christians in Ephesus Revelation 2? You have left what? First love. Yeah, you have left your first love. Okay. So when we get our desire, love, and passion for God, that's wonderful... But Ten years later, you know, will it still be there? Fifteen years later, and Paul was. Paul is an excellent example of someone who is maintaining his faith uh, no matter what was facing him. All right. So, one thing we share is is prayer. Prayer verses three and four, Philippians one. The second thing here is is our sharing in the work of Christ, Philippians one verse five. Paul intends one of his reasons for writing the book of Philippians and uh, is to thank these brethren uh, for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now the english standard version here uses the word partnership and i, I really like that word partnership partnership there's a couple of big terms that describe our relationship with with each other as followers of christ One of them, of course, is we are family members. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So one standpoint of the church is we're family. But another very important standpoint is we are workers together. And as workers, we are partners. We are partners in the work of the gospel. So that's how we need to explain it, and that's how we need to feel about it. This is an excellent thing to say in regard, you know, people look at our Our structure in the church, and they're a little bit taken aback by it because we don't have a pastor system. In fact, the Lord's structure for the church is very much different from most other religious uh, structures in in the world around us. But um, one thing, if somebody asks you about our, our organization, how we relate to each other, this is an excellent way of doing it, thinking about the family and thinking about we're all partners, whether we're preacher or whether we're... Um, you know, Bible school teacher, whether we're deacons or, or elders, no matter what role we are serving in the church, we can safely say we are all partners. It's the way the Lord intends it. We are partners together. And Paul said, these, these brethren in Philippi have been this for him from the first day unto now. What does he mean, first day? From the first day unto now. What do you think? From the first day. Okay. In the, from the original time of um, when the gospel was first preached um, in Philippi. Philippi. Turn, your, turn your Bibles back to Acts 16. And who actually was the first convert near Philippi? Lydia. Lydia, that's right. But you see Lydia's conversion, Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. And then notice verse 15 especially. It says, After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us. Notice this. She urged us, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is is the beginning. Lydia was the beginning of the fellowship with Paul uh, in the gospel. The partnership with Paul. And from that point on, this church uh, was a supporter and personally and financially of the gospel work that Paul was doing and probably uh, other gospel works uh, as well. Okay, But from that first day onward. Okay. Well, isn't Lydia a great example of someone who, you know, um, let's see, when Jesus was sending out uh, his disciples early on, Matthew 10 and verse 8, he, he said... Freely you have received, freely give. And don't you see, this is the attitude that that Lydia has here. She says, I have learned the gospel uh, today. And now she wants to turn around and be able to give back uh, toward that effort. And she begins to do that from the first day. And that caught on with everybody else who's converted to Christ there uh, in Philippi. So going back to Philippians, notice a couple of places here. Uh, that shows how they've been supporting Paul from the first day unto now. Not just Lydia, but really uh, the whole congregation. Notice um, in Philippians 2:25 through 30 that the church in Philippi is concerned about Paul's being in Rome, and so they send a man by the name of who? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Philippians 2:25. Paul describes him as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and minister to my need. So he he put his life on the line, really. Uh, he becomes sick when he goes to serve Paul, uh, surely because he had to, to live in ways that he was not accustomed to living. He got sick doing this, but nonetheless, he's doing this for Paul and for the gospel's uh, sake. And so they had personally sent people to... Um, to look after Paul and try to help him there in, in Rome. But also look at Philippians 4, really verses 10 to 18. Notice um, Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Uh, you were indeed concerned for me, but now you had no opportunity, uh, but now they have sent Epaphroditus. So looking down, uh, verse 14, Philippians 4, 14. Paul said, it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help uh, for me, to help my needs once and again, once and again. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, which ends up being a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Right, so, a partnership. Partnership. So, when we are partakers of the grace of God, then we share in the work of Christ. You can see that. Any other thoughts about that from Philippians 1, verse 5. 1 verse 5. There's Aphrodite that couldn't be healed because he was already a Christian. So, he got sick, Paul healed everybody up to make them believe. But with the power of the Holy Ghost working the way that it did, he got sick, Paul could heal because he was already a Christian. Well, we at least know this that they just didn't do miracles to be doing miracles. They did it in order to, to confirm the faith. That's what you're saying. Good point. Alright, right. Um, so any other thoughts about this being, um, we share in prayer, and we also share uh, in the work, in the work. This is not a solo, the work of Christ is never looked upon as a solo effort, or even um, a threesome effort, it, it's, it's, it's to be done by all, something we share in Alright, so looking at Philippians 1 and verse number 6, Paul says, we share in confidence, in confidence. This may be my favorite verse in this, this chapter. Um, somebody read it from your translation. Let's see if it's a little bit different. But Somebody read verse 6 uh, from your Bible. So I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Now what are are some things that are taught in that verse? I'm continuing here that we are sharers in this confidence that Paul is speaking of. So expand on that from verse number 6. What do you think? And who's going to make it continue? Jesus. Christians. Okay. I don't guess either one of those answers is wrong. Okay. I know it's not wrong. But from verse 6, he says, who is, He who began a good work in you, who is that? Jesus. Yeah, that would be the Lord. Lord began a good work in you. And he will see to it. So God completes the work that he begins. God completes the work that he begins. If we stay faithful, uh, he will complete that work. In his own good way, in his own good time, he will complete the work. But here's the thing. Paul lives in a state of confidence about all this. That's the thing that we've got to pick up on. That's the thing that we've got to incorporate into our lives. Make sure it's down deep into our souls. Because Paul was constantly confident that the Lord was going to bring to completion the work that had begun. That has begun in the gospel. Go ahead. So Larry's saying that uh, this is a great encouragement, and it ought to be, for our evangelistic efforts, our reach-out efforts. Even if we don't see immediate, tangible results, we can know by faith that God is at hand. God is going to see this through, and uh, that's very good. In fact, Larry brought up a good passage, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, that speaks when God says, My word um, is is like... um, is like rain from heaven. This is the rain falls and brings uh, water to the earth and it springs forth and bud- buds, so my word that goes forth out of my mouth uh, will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the thing that I sent it to do. So, we you know, we have workshops about spreading the gospel and we... We, we look for inspiration to spread the gospel. Really, it comes down to personal faith, doesn't it? Do I truly believe that, that the gospel is the light of God? Do I truly believe that God will take this gospel and work, work with it in the, in the hearts of human beings? Paul just constantly was in that state of confidence about uh, this matter. This also relates a little bit to uh, 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul said, I planted and Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. He that plants is nothing, he that waters is nothing, but it is God who gives the increase. So Paul was just absolutely confident that God would bring these works unto completion. And so it would have been a great encouragement to, for these Christians in Philippi to hear this, especially from a man who's, who's sitting there in prison, who's sitting there in chains. He would much rather uh, be a free man. But notice how his confidence abides. He was confident in everything so he wasn't fearful. That's right. Ken's saying he's confident in everything so he was not fearful. And since he mentioned that, look down in the same chapter uh, to Philippians 1, later in the chapter. Um, He says at the end of verse 27 that we ought to be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not to be frightened. You see verse 28? And not to be frightened in anything by your opponents. Not to be affrighted. Not to be scared. That confidence did wipe away the fear that was in um, many people's hearts, but not in Paul's. Not Not in Paul's heart. Maybe another thing, Brother Larry, that's encouraging here is that he says, let's see how it says here in Philippians 1.6. He says, um, the good work in you he'll bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is the day of Jesus Christ? Are, are you saying that's the judgment day? Is that the final day? What do you think? Notice that phrase again in verse um, verse 10. Now, uh, Philippians 1, Paul says, uh, Verse 9, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ, of course, is the judgment day. It is the day that we meet Jesus uh, in the air. So Paul is saying that the work that we are doing together as partners in the gospel, the impact of that work will last all the way down to the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Shouldn't that be encouraging? What you start in your life with the gospel could have an impact through the next generation. And then they would pass it on to the next generation. So literally, your work is going to have uh, an effect that lasts all the way to whenever Jesus, to the end of time, whenever Jesus comes again. So three big statements here in verse six: God will complete what He begins. Paul abides in a, in a constant state of confidence about that. And the impact of our work, the impact of any gospel work done faithfully will last all the way down to the end of time. When we breathe our last here, uh, we can be totally encouraged that the impact of our faithfulness does not end. So we share in prayer, we share in the work, and we share in Paul's uh, confidence here. But going on to verse 7, we also share... Um, in suffering, Paul. for Paul here, this is the bonds or imprisonment. How do you think that the Philippians were sharing in Paul's uh, imprisonment? How is it that Paul says, you are sharing in my imprisonment? You are partakers with me in my bonds. What? So they're saying they're, they're members of the body of Christ yeah, of the body of Christ that so we share. We share each other's heartaches and pains. Yeah. They they feel that way toward Paul, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, back in Acts sixteen there was a pretty good stir. You know How did it go in Acts 16? Paul healed someone. Who did he heal in Acts 16? What kind of healing took place in Acts 16? Yeah. Cast some demons out of a woman. And the men who owned that woman was making evidently some some financial gain out of her situation. And so that made them angry and they ended up beating Paul and Silas and putting many stripes and bruises upon them and throwing them into prison because of that. Now, the earthquake, God sends an earthquake and they're able to, you know, they're going to get released from all of this. They're going to convert the Philippian jailer before they leave. But now once Paul and Silas leave the area, what do you think? you think the Christians still had persecution? Most likely. Most likely. The persecution didn't go away just because Paul went away. Because if these brethren kept preaching, and we know they did because more are converted to Christ, if these brethren kept serving and worshiping and and teaching, then the persecution, the the abiding effects of the original persecution would have kept on uh, with these Christians. So in that sense, they would have been partakers of Paul's Sufferings as well. Maybe some of them were thrown into prison. Paul does call some of these men his fellow prisoners, but also they are partakers of Paul's uh, bonds because they're helping him. As we you know, as they're sending him money. They're sending him people. They're they're giving him his prayers. They're giving prayers toward him. He's praying for them. They're they're hopeful for his release. And so they're participating uh, in that way. All right, so next place here in in verse number 7. Partakers of God's grace are partaking in the defense of the gospel. With Paul, they are the partakers of the defense of the gospel. So what do you think the word defense means here? What What does it mean to... Partake in the the defense of the gospel. To support the gospel. Yeah. To support its teaching. Right. And to be ready to do exactly as that sounds. To defend. To give a verbal uh, defense. Verbal defense. You know, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3.15, doesn't he? What does 1 Peter 3.15 say about the gospel? Yeah, be ready to give an answer, which is the same idea here. Be ready to give a defense. Sanctify Jesus in your heart as Lord, 1 Peter three fifteen, And be ready always to give an answer. And so these brethren, they weren't just supporting Paul financially. They were learning. And so when Paul, even when Paul was not there, they were doing some of the defending themselves. Look right here. Look at Philippians 2. Paul says, Therefore, Philippians 2 verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. In other words, keep doing the work. Even when I'm not there, they were still doing the work. That needed to be done and a big part of that is in speaking up and defending uh, the truth. They held the ground. Yeah. They held the ground of the gospel. One place Paul says that our, the weapons of our warfare are not what? Okay. Where is that set at? Paul says the weapons of our of our warfare <laughs> are not carnal. Where is that at? Where is that at? Second Corinthians, 10 and four. Okay. Second Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Paul's speaking about our warfare. Our warfare. It's one thing these brethren were taught early on that this is a war. They didn't have to be taught that very long. They could see the persecution. They could see that the gospel ran against the regular grain of the world. And so they saw the need of standing up and speaking even verbally in defense of the gospel. We need to remember that because it's so um, tempting to get down the level of those who would uh, persecute us, uh, those who might even uh, one day try to harm us physically, what, how should we respond? Well, like Jesus told Peter in Matthew 26, put up your sword. What did he say after that? sword perish. weak. Yeah. He that takes the sword shall perish by the sword. Jesus was teaching very early on that the weapons of our warfare we're, we're going to be trying to to convince the minds of people through the gospel of Jesus Christ that that's our that's our job that's our work that's our warfare that's the weapons that we that's the weapon that we use and so they are participating with Paul in the in the defense and the confirmation of of the gospel so If we're going to defend the gospel, we must also be willing to speak out. Notice that this is happening in Philippians. Notice here in Philippians 1. This is part of Paul's great confidence. Let's see. Um, let's just read verses 12 to 14 together. Philippians 1.12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Notice that confidence of Paul so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. So there were some brethren who were seeing Paul take his imprisonment and dedicate it to Christ. So there were some brethren there in Rome who were becoming more bold to speak up for Christ. And then this in turn, by... By the Christians in Philippi reading about this, and they in turn will become more bold to speak up uh, for Christ. And they'd already become that way in some sense because they were already partaking in the defense of the gospel. It's not a one-man job, I guess is what Paul's saying. He is thanking them uh, to, for realizing that. And it serves us to, to take notice that as we, as we bring our children up, and as we bring our congregation to a greater ma- maturity in the knowledge of Christ, that a big part of that is teaching how to defend the truth. You know, showing, uh, taking what the world says about Christ, what the world says about the Bible, what the world says about, um, about heaven, and there's um, thousands of things that the world will say against the church, but teaching... Uh, all of us, we need to combine together, I guess, and teach each other how to, how to stand up, how to answer that uh, with the scriptures. Okay, so again, uh, Paul says, we are partakers together, not only in the defense of the gospel, but also in the confirmation of the gospel. What is it that would confirm the gospel in those early days? What is it that confirmed the gospel? Yeah, the miracles, wonders, and signs that Peter mentions in Acts 2, uh, 22 and 23. Miracles, wonders, and signs. This is what Jesus said early on in Mark 16, verses 17 through 20. He would give the power of the Spirit to some and they'd be able to, to heal and do various other things. But the purpose of that would be to confirm the Word, confirm the Word. Uh, As John ends uh, his uh, biography of Jesus, he said in John 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so these, these miracles, and they had not only seen, perhaps, some miracles of Paul when he was there in Philippi, but they'd certainly heard about Jesus' miracles. They heard about... The apostles being able to do miracles. And this had confirmed the gospel uh, for them. So they are partakers in this in that they learned. Okay, two big things we learn in confirmation of the gospel. We, we learn about the history of Jesus. You know, the history of Jesus. And um, the the ideal Jesus is not just a philosophy in life. But rather, Christianity is grounded in a person, in, a, in, a, in the real history of Jesus. And so these brethren had learned about Jesus' life on earth and the prophecies that led to that life. And they have been confirmed in that. But also on top of that are the miracles that were done. And so through these two realities, the gospel was confirmed to them. So they're partakers in that. Partakers in it, in that you teach that. Part of standing up and defending the gospel, you teach about how it's being confirmed unto men. And um, so many ways in which uh, to do that. I, I would start with, you know, how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to the apostles and that gave them all sorts of abilities. And then you can talk all day about the miracles of Jesus. so many ways to help confirm and participate uh, in the Confirmation of the gospel. So, notice these seven things. And I haven't mentioned number seven yet, but uh, they shared in prayer. And let's remember to pray with joy. And pray no matter what, what is happening. And keep that passion going. They, they shared in prayer. They shared in the work of Christ as partners. They shared in the confidence that Paul had. They shared in the sufferings that Paul had. He was in prison, and they tried to share in that. They shared in the defense of the gospel, and they shared in the confirmation of the gospel, but it says they are partakers of the grace, and of course that brings us right back to uh, salvation in Christ. Uh, They were first and foremost, uh, they shared with Paul uh, in the salvation of Christ. Grace brings salvation, first and foremost, grace brings salvation to this earth. Now grace brings everything that we enjoy uh, in Christ is a, is because of God's grace. But first and foremost it brings salvation. So when you go back to Acts 16 and you see Paul coming to Philippi and teaching Lydia and those other ladies out by, by the riverside he is bringing the grace of God to them. And their response to that is a response to the grace of God. And they are by, by obeying the gospel, they were partakers of that grace. And the same thing with the Philippian jailer and anybody else who who would obey uh, those initial instructions of the Lord. Partakers. So I got here to Philippians one because I've just been studying the idea of grace throughout the New Testament, and when you look at grace. It's it's a lot of times grace in the life of Christians creates unity among Christians, and that's certainly the case here in Philippians. This realizing the importance of grace uh, brought them to to a, to a unified position before the Lord. All right.